0: Pretty funny uh, video, isn't it? Let me just add to that. From noon today to midnight, December 24th, 132 hours to get your Christmas done. Oh no, panic is just across the faces of the congregation. 132 hours and Christmas is here. Are you ready? I was wondering, what does your Christmas cost you? Do you ever think about that? What does your Christmas cost you? And, and now that, being on a fixed income, I'm really concerned about that with my wife. Well, uh, our Christmas is gonna be shrunk a little bit. Well, let's, oh, Max is here. Max Hunt, chairman of our board, he is such a good gift giver to Carol. But Max, I've got the gift for you this year that Carol will love the rest of her life, okay? It won't cost you a lot, all right? Here it is. It's the tire prices for the 12 days of Christmas song in 2019. Now, the reason it's 19, because 2020, the dancers and the milk's of mating, they were in COVID and c- couldn't get out, okay? So we don't have a price, but here we go. One partridge in a pear tree, $210.17. Two turtle doves, $300. Three French hens, $181.50. Four calling birds, $599.96. Five golden rings, $825. 6 geese a-laying, $420. Seven swans a-swimming, swans a- $13,125. Eight maids a-milking, a- only 58 bucks. Nine ladies dancing, $7,552.84. Ten lords are leaping that's Pastor Jason, Pastor Frank Leap, $10,000. Eleven pipers piping, $2,748.87. Twelve drummers drumming, that's Mason, $2,972.25. Max, the total cost is only $170,298.03. That's after counting each repetition in the song. If you just do one, one time, it's only 16000 something So that'd be a perfect gift for, for Carol to get. Okay, Max? That'd be perfect, perfect. Uh, sold, yeah. Well, here's another Christmas gift. This uh, Muhek Ambani gave to his wife a $60 million jet. Not a bad gift to give. Greg, you could give that to your wife, you know, a $60 million jet. Here's one for Pastor Jason. Now, Judy, I'm sorry to spoil this, but this is for you. He already said he's going to do this. But this is a $2.2 million, 24-karat gold bathtub. Just for you, Judy. Can you imagine? Guess who gave that? Mike Tyson gave it to Robin Givens. So they're not together anymore, so you probably get a good deal on that. Okay. Now, here's another one. Pastor Frank, Susan needs a car. I know you're one car, but she needs a car. Here's what you can get. A $400,000 Rolls-Royce Phantom. Okay. (laughs) Call 911. Frank is having a heart attack. Yes, but but Frank, it could be a deal. Nick Cannon gave it to Mariah Carey. They're no longer together, so you probably get a discount on that. Now, this is the son of of Muhek. Amil Ambani gave to his wife, Tina, an eighty-four million Tian yacht. You know, Myers, you could get that from Matt. He's in the Coast Guard serving for us in the United States of America. Get him that 84 million yacht for Christmas, okay? Then not to be outdone, Craig, here's something for Faye, okay? It's a cheaper jet, all right? It's a $20 million golf train jet, a little cheaper. Tom Cruise gave it to Katie Holmes. They're no longer together, so it's probably a discount for that too, all right? I do that in jest because I was thinking, so what are you getting for Christmas after all those gifts? What are you getting? You know, slippers, pajamas, you know? Better yet, what did you buy for your family, and what did it cost when you think of all that? And, and it made me think of a question that I asked myself: What did it cost God? I thought, What did it cost God for Christmas? And I came up with a verse. You know, it's it's they, you see it at athletic stadiums and things like that. But it's such a good, good, solid verse for us as believers. It's John three sixteen, but also seventeen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. So as you look at this, I'm going to build my case, why the nativity? We have it down here. I wanna build my case up of why the nativity? Why did we have to have the nativity? So you have to realize, go all the way back to the beginning, in eternity past God determined to have a kingdom over which he could rule as a sovereign king Paul writes about it in 1st Timothy he says now to the king eternal immortal invisible the only God be honor and glory forever and ever amen now since it's impossible to have a kingdom without subjects and since nothing else existed to serve him see back in eternity past it was just God the Father Son Holy Spirit he hadn't created the universe yet he hadn't created the, the stars and the galaxies, and so he was going to do those. He had to create to have subjects that, he, that would serve him and worship him and be under him. So the personal created subjects were of two major kinds. Let's cover first the angels. God created angelic spirits. Spirit beings, and we don't have time to go through all the scriptures this morning, but that's found in Hebrews 1.14. They pos- that possesses intellect. They possess intellect. Daniel 9, 21 through 22. They had the ability to communicate, the angels, Genesis 19, 1 through 2. They were all created by God, created by God. I, I emphasize that and you'll see why in a moment. Genesis 2, 1. They are innumerable. Daniel writes about that in 7, 9 through 10. And then certain angels were made superior intelligence, power, and authority over others. You read about that in Daniel and Paul writes about it in Ephesians. Now That's the angelic realm. The second major kind of personal subjects created for God's kingdom was the human being. We actually were created to be God's administrators of earth. You can read about that in Genesis, how we were to subdue the earth and take care of all the animals and things such as that. That's what God wanted us to do originally Is his plan for us. And God intended the government of the earth to be a theocracy, a theocracy. God is over all. He's the king eternal. He rules over the kingdom, and we administrate things for him. But then, one of the chief angels, Lucifer, chief musician and over a very powerful angel, one of the top ones, decided, you know what? After creation was complete, he said, he became very proud and had great intelligence and powers. And he said, he, he convinced himself, deceived himself, thinking, I can overthrow the sovereign rule of God. Think about that. I can overthrow the sovereign rule of God. Now, because of this angel's rebellion against God, his name was changed to Satan, which means adversary. So, from Lucifer to Satan, and he became the great revolutionary, the very first revolutionary of the universe, and the enemy of God in every member of God's kingdom. All of us that are born again, saved, are an enemy of Satan. Now, let me just pause here a moment and share something with you. Don't you ever think that Satan is equal with God. There's people out there that think that. There's the media that try to present that. There's movies that try to present that. He is not equal with God. He's a created being. What does the verse say? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Did I get an amen for that? Yes, amen. Because he is a created being. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, not Satan. Now, Satan comes across that way because he's had all of history to study man. How we think, how we react, how best to tempt us, how best to get us to mess up. That is him, but he is not equal with God. Praise the Lord for that. But since Satan rebelled and took a lot of angels with him, he said, now I've got to get mankind to rebel. I've got to do something. The bait that he used is interesting to get man to disobey God. It was the notion that if man disobeyed God, we would become as God. Isn't that interesting how to use that, that? In other words, he was telling man that we could be our own sovereign, that he could rule his own life if only he would rebel. And folks, look where it's gotten us today. You know, Pastor Jason was sharing with me how bad the world is becoming, just in Vinland, what took place down at Penn Lincoln. Just a horrible thing took place there. Man is depraved. We are try to run our own life, and we try to rule our own life, and we're doing a really a terrible job. So there's consequences to everything, isn't there? There's consequences of man's rebellion. Again, building my case for the nativity. First, man died spiritually at the moment of disobedience. Genesis 2, 16 through 17. You have to understand that we are trichotomy people. Body, soul, spirit. The spirit originally was right with God. The spirit was alive with God, righteous before God. It was counted righteous. We were there, we are right relationship. Adam and Eve, our parents, were there and okay with God. When sin came in, spiritually man died. Then man lost his favorable disposition toward God and became confirmed in a disposition of enmity against God. Paul writes about that in Romans 8, 7. Then man's whole being so fully controlled by the disposition of enmity that his entire nature entire nature suffered a perversion called the total depravity for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None seek after God. We are totally depraved people and it's obvious in our world today that's where we're at. Fourth, eventually man died physically. That's obvious. people are dying, men die even in the Old Testament. They live a little longer but as Diseases and things, man dies physically. That was part of the consequence of, of the sin. Man's ability to exercise dominion over the earth was changed. He lost the ability to govern some things. You know, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. You could, you know, be around them and pet them, and, and they wouldn't bite you or anything like that. Now, we, we can't do that. We've lost some of that because of the consequence of sin. Six, because man was the governor of the earthly province of God's kingdom, his rebellion brought tragedy his domain. It's obvious what has happened. Creation is groaning. The tornadoes, the hurricanes, the the famines, the, the, the droughts and everything else and fires. It's obvious that creation was changed because of man's rebellion at that time. You know, it said a province of a kingdom often suffers as a result of the governor's choice to rebel against the king. Seventh, man was transferred from membership in the kingdom of God to membership in the kingdom of Satan. We have to remember that. Because the original parents of, of the race chose to rebel against God and become human, and because humans reproduce after their kind, except, except Jesus Christ, because he was born of a virgin, born in this world, is, be, is born with a disposition of enmity against God. Again, everyone born in that situation is born with a disposition of enmity against God. And unless somebody accepts that God's way of salvation, not man's way, but God's way, each human continues through life to be energized by Satan, whether you like it or not or whether you believe it or not. And to live his life according to Satan's way. Find that in Ephesians 2.2. 2. And what happens is, as we share the gospel with others, as we share this wonderful gospel that, that Christ was born to die and for the penalty of the sins, as we share that, They are blinded to the truth by the enemy. Paul says that God of this world blinds the unbelieving mind. He blinds them, and then he he deceives them into believing that error is truth. Oh, folks, is it obvious that error that's happening today? Error is truth, and truth is error. It's obvious that that's what's going on, and that's what's happening. And you know where they're attacking? the, the The greatest place he's attacking in that area. Education. He's attacking in that area teaching our young children that error is truth. And boy, you've got to stay on top of that, whether it's grandkids or children, because that's what's happening. Satan is getting in there and doing that. Then, to be in spiritual darkness and to be held in Satan's power. Paul, uh, Luke records that about Paul in Acts 26, and it says, turn from the power of Satan to God. Then Satan uses unsaved people to do some of the work of his kingdom, and it's obvious, and we'll share that in the future a little bit. Then because of Adam, the governor of earthly providence of God's universal kingdom has defected from God, the theocracy was lost, and Satan was able to usurp the rule of the world system away from God. Now, please understand, God allowed it. Satan can't do anything unless God allows it. He has to allow it. Sometimes I don't know why God allows things to happen in my life, in others' life, family's life. I don't understand it. But I know that somehow God allows it. And I remember when Pastor Jason took us through the book of Job, Job didn't know why this stuff was happening in his life. He had no clue. But we know because we have the whole story. And folks, you know what? It doesn't matter if I don't understand why it's happened. All I need to know and understand is glorify God through it. That's the whole point. So, I'm setting up something here. We we see what happened. We see the curse. We see what the consequences. And there was an issue. Now, God was separated from man because of the enemy. And now, in Genesis 3.15, the first promise of the Redeemer came. And it says Satan causes the Redeemer's death that he's going to bruise you on the heel, but you're going to bruise him on the head, and Christ is the Redeemer, crushes Satan, and you see that. Now, because of that, and Satan was there when this was pronounced, so Satan knew what was going on. So to do that, Satan had to do something. This next slide, you'll see Satan standing there. He had to stop the Redeemer from coming. If you read in 2022, if you start reading the Bible through in a year, read it with this thought in mind that Satan's goal throughout Old Testament history was to stop the Redeemer from coming. Read it that way and you'll see and, and sure enough right out of the box what did Satan do? He got Cain to kill Abel because the Redeemer was coming through Abel so Satan said ha stopped it. God allowed Adam and Eve have Seth a replacement so Satan well that we could just go this all day with this so now I've got to kind of mess up the lineage of Seth. So he started messing up the lineage of Seth. He said, i got to mess up this whole thing and keep the Redeemer from coming to set up his kingdom. Because Christ originally was coming to set up the kingdom, but people rejected that. And God, we know the whole story, but they didn't know back then. So what happens? Almost Satan did it. The flood. The flood. All One family, folks, one family was left. Just Noah and his family, that was it. And God had to flood and destroy it all, start over. So then Satan, oh man, I almost won, but now I gotta change my tactic. Now I gotta use get get Shem and get his lineage because the Redeemer's coming through Shem and try to store that. And you read through the Old Testament all the things that he tried to do to keep the Redeemer from coming. And he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and he tried. And even in the silent years, God was still working during those silent years between the Old Testament and New Testament. Setting up the right government, the right language, and all the things that had to be taken place, God was doing that for one reason the nativity. The nativity. So, why the nativity? That's the reason the Redeemer was coming. It was time for God to send His Son into a world that was condemned because of sin. God's response, again, to, to our hopeless situations. It's best summarized in the verse I shared earlier, John 3 16, isn't it? So here we have all the background, all the stuff about why the nativity. Now I want to do something and change gears, and it'll make sense at the end. Want to change gears and talk about cliches. It's cliches? Yeah, cliches. Here's some cliches. Actions speak louder than words. All that glitter isn't gold. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Cat got your tongue? You can't judge a book by its cover. Read between the lines. Don't get your knickers in a twist. Kiss and make up. All these are cliches. We kind of know what they mean, don't they, because they're cliches. Well, I want to share a cliche that's thrown around Chris, I couldn't find the exact date this came out. It's been around for a long time. Jesus is the reason for the season. Don't we all know that? I don't think there's anybody that doesn't know that little cliche. Jesus is the reason for the season. You may sign it on your cards, you may have it on your cards, you may see, you know, in your house posters or whatever, or little things. Jesus is the reason for the season. Folks, Christmas has become one of the most com- complicated seasons of the year. It plays a huge part in the economic success of many businesses, doesn't it? My wife and I, were, we were watching a, a special Christmas Around the World, and I couldn't believe how much money is spent around the world even on Christmas. Even in India, places like that that you would never think to celebrate. There's people that celebrate Christmas there. But I would have to guess around the world, trillions and trillions of dollars is spent on Christmas. No wonder people want, businesses want to start earlier and earlier to get your money to pay, to pay. You know, but so Jesus, Jesus has in large part been removed for much of the season. Do you ever see a government building with a nativity? Do you ever see a school with a nativity? They're, they're, they're removed. I remember watching a cartoon, and the poor cartoon, the characters were trying to celebrate Christmas, and they, they had the nativity. Nope, that offends somebody. Then they had garland. that offended somebody. They had, you know, a tree that offended somebody. They had lights that offended. They ended up, the kids ended up on stage, nothing on the stage. It was all blank, because somebody was offended about everything. And that's what's happened. People are offended about Jesus, so let's remove him. And who's behind that? The enemy, that's right, Satan, to remove that. You know, let's remove Christ and and put that fat little white-haired, well, if I grew a beard, i almost be there, but white-haired, you know, guy, Santa, okay? Now, Now, you know, close your ears, okay? All right, Matt, Nick, Justin, I know you're in college now and you're all sophisticated, but Santa isn't real, okay? Just so you know. But substitution, substitution, all right? Substitution for that. So Jesus has been removed. The reasons have become family food fun and fellowship. Family food fun and fellowship. Now, don't get mad at me. There's nothing wrong with those of course. Nothing. But those aren't the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason. So I'm going to break down this this cliche, Jesus is the reason for the season. And what do we start out first out of the box what's there? Jesus. Jesus. Without the birth of Jesus, Christmas, there would be no Christmas celebration. There wouldn't be. I know we don't really know the exact date of Christmas. We know that December 25th wasn't the exact date, but a long time ago, the Roman church in the 4th century said, we're going to make December 25th the day we celebrate Christmas. Now, there's all kinds of things about that. It kind of coincide with different celebrations and pagans celebrate, but, but the religious group said December 25th is that but folks Christmas Day is not the reason for the season is it? Jesus is the reason for the season can you imagine if our crazy pastors Pastor Jason and Pastor Frank said you know what next year we're gonna celebrate Christmas September <gasps> we lynch them you know they, they we you're out of here we can't do that Christmas is on December 25th like on the video When's December, when's Christmas? December 25th? When is it next year? December 25th? When in 23rd? We would go crazy with that. But it's not the reason for the season, is it? Not the day, not the day. We celebrate folks, the incarnation. Think about that. The incarnation. I gotta admit, I don't understand it. 100 percent God, 100 percent man, the hypostatic union, that fancy word that's thrown out there. I don't understand it I don't have to understand it but I believe it because God's Word says it that's all that matters to me but here's a verse that talks about that John 1 1 and 14 in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God don't you let anyone put an A before that there's some religions that do that that he was a God no he was God period and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So remove Jesus Christ from Christmas, and all you have is a secular celebration. That's it. And boy, isn't the enemy trying to do that? He really is. And it sickens me sometimes. Can you do me a favor? Because I've been doing this. You know, you go shopping, and you go and things, and people say, Happy Holidays. I hate that. I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't hate it makes me sick I'll do that word instead. okay I say Merry Christmas back to them and I go Merry Christmas you know I put a little emphasis in it you know phonetically I just I am so tired happy holidays and that's sweet and they're trying but their employers aren't letting them say it say Merry Christmas back to them just give it back to them and and it's funny because I've done that a couple times and then they quickly said oh Merry Christmas to you so I think if you say it to them if they believe like we believe, they're allowed to say it back. But they're not allowed to say it according to their employer, it, you know, because it's offensive. So, anyhow, get off my soapbox. Now, Jesus, we covered it. The reason. I found an article as a, I was reading David Jeremiah's book, and he had this in there from Wikipedia. I don't know who wrote this, but what a great article. For Christians believing that God came into the world in the form of man to atone for the sins of humanity rather than knowing Jesus' exact birth date, is considered to be the primary purpose, reason, in celebrating Christmas. I couldn't have written it better. That is awesome. For Christians, believing that God came into the world in the form of man to atone for the sins of humanity, rather than knowing Jesus' exact birth date, it's considered to be the primary purpose, reason, in celebrating Christmas. That reason for Christmas, though, folks, has been lost at various times in church history I read in the same book David Jeremiah had out that in the 17th century Puritan England that Christmas was basically banned for 20 years because it became uh, it became an excuse for drunkenness and rowdy behavior Can you imagine that they banned it for 20 years because of drunkenness and rowdiness oh my goodness that's interesting when we think of Christmas our reason Our reasons are Jesus' incarnation, as I shared. His death for our sins. Jesus' resurrection. Jesus reconciling us to the Father because of of how we weren't reconciled to him. And Jesus' promise of eternal life, and not to mention his coming again. Oh, I hope he comes soon. I hope the rapture's tomorrow. I'm tired of this sin-sick world, folks. I'm tired of it. Now, Jesus is the reason for what? The season. Let me give you the definition. The definition of season is a period of the year characterized by or associated with a particular activity or phenomenon. And too often we focus on schedules and breaks from work or school, social engagements, and gift-giving. And again, don't get mad. There's nothing wrong with those things. But that's not what should characterize the Christmas season. More than any other time of the year, folks, the Christmas season is time for renewal, especially with what's going on in the world and facing a new year, 2022, and what's going on right now. So it's time to renew reminders and reflections on what Jesus did by coming to earth. And we again know the whole story, born to die. Now, I got to give you some practical things though. I couldn't end this morning without giving you some practical things about living the reason, Living living the reason. What should our Christmas look like when we focus our attention on Jesus? What should it look like? Paul wrote a great verse about this, and it fits in. 1 Corinthians 10, 1031. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What a great verse. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's not about me. It's about the glory of God. I need to glorify him, and no matter what I do... If I'm having struggles in my family, which I am, if I'm having struggles internally, which which you know we do sometimes, and struggles and stress and things about life, what am I to do? Glorify God. If I got noticed that I'm dying of cancer, glorify God, and no matter what you do, glorify God, no matter what. Even this Christmas, whatever you do this Christmas, do all to the glory of God. It's that simple. So, what are some practical ways? It's funny because last week I was taking notes pastor jason's message and and i i as i took notes i went oh my that is such harmony with my message they'll think i stole it from him you know no i didn't steal it from him the holy spirit wanted us to hear it twice he wanted at least me to hear it twice i don't know about you but i'm including you on that so the first thing how to do this in a practical way share the savior it's that simple if you give gifts to non-christians neighbors or relatives or or co-workers include a track one of our life books or a note with a Christmas verse pointing to Jesus Pastor Frank can give you anchor for the soul a life book tracks he has them call him up he'd be happy to do that he would he would do a holy dance if you did that call him up okay it'd be great do that if you have unsafe people I do that with my family we my my, my sisters always send me a goofy Christmas card my wife said we're sending them one about Christ. I said, absolutely, absolutely. I, that's my opportunity, one more, to get them, maybe Christ will get a hold of them through a card. I don't know. If you have unchurched friends, one of the most non-threatening services to invite them to is our Christmas Eve. It's a beautiful candlelight service with music. And, and I heard Pastor Frank's going to read a story that he's got to practice, it, you know, he's got to practice all week on, but yeah, you're going to read a children's story and all that stuff. What a great non-threatening service to invite unsafe family to or friends or neighbors. If they are single or shut-ins and, and they don't have family to join for Christmas, invite them to your home. <gasps> yeah, invite them to your home. Share the Savior. Somehow, way, share the Savior this season. Two, share your hope. Folks, Christmas can be a hopeless time for many, especially what is happening in our world today. You know, it's interesting. I have a cold, as you can tell. It's not COVID. You can't have a common cold anymore. You know, (coughs) you got COVID. No, it's my allergies. I know what it is. I have it every year. It just happens. But the craziness is happening. There's a lot of people without hope. Share how you have hope in this crazy world. Do that. Share your hope. There's a verse, a beautiful verse in Hebrews 6, 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, the very presence of God. Oh my goodness, what hope we have. Peter puts it this way, let sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for what? For the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Folks, share your hope. Hopeless people are desperate for reasons to have hope in this world. They're desperate, desperate. And there's many hopeless people out there. They don't know what's going to happen next. They have no, clue, no, no idea or clue where they're going to spend eternity. They are hopeless, hopeless. Share your hope. Share the Savior. Share your hope. Christmas is the most hopeful time of the year for those who know Christ. It really is. Then share the peace. Don't let the busyness and demands of the Christmas season rob you of your joy and peace. Last minute shopping, out of town guests, oh no, we got family coming in, and office parties and small group parties, and on and on and on and on it goes. You say, oh my goodness, you know, you start losing that. Before you know it, you're, you're trading your peace and contentment for conflict, both internal and external. And you say, boy, I just can't wait for this to be over. Oh, what a, I've heard that from people. I can't wait till Christmas be over so I can relax. Oh, my goodness. Change your life. There's something wrong if that's Christmas to you. Seriously. I've had to tell my own wife that. She's a nursery, so I can't get in trouble. You know, hon, settle down. It's stupid. you got to, bye, 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 bye. It's crazy. Oh, this person's bought us a gift. We've got to run out and get them a gift. It's crazy and bizarre what goes on at Christmas time. Don't change it. Luke had something in, in 2.14. He recorded glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. We do remember that these angels declared the birth of Jesus and herald peace on earth. Peace on earth. So last, share the joy. It should be a true statement that, that anyone who has Jesus in their heart should have hope, peace in him, and joy. Joy, 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 joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let every every heart prepare him room. Joy to the world. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. You know, that begs me to ask a question to me, which I did. And now I'm going to include you. Have I prepared room in my heart this Christmas for Jesus? Ooh, that one's a little touchy. Have I prepared room in my heart this Christmas for Jesus? Let Jesus give you his joy. So you can share the joy with others. There's a verse, John wrote it in 1713. It was Jesus' words. It says, But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world so that you may have my joy made full in themselves. Folks, Satan could not stop the Redeemer from coming and fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. He tried, he tried, and he tried. He thought he was winning by getting Jesus crucified. And, and he, he used one of his own to betray him and the, and the religious sect to, to, to come against him and other people to get them to go say, crucify him. He was on the cross. He said that the last diet it is finished, paid in full, and he was buried. But then came Sunday. I know it sounds like Easter, but then came Sunday. He was resurrected, and Satan went, rot row. now what? He's alive, and he revealed. And guess what he did? Satan is such a, an enemy, such a liar. He said, I'm going to spread lies that they just sold his body to try to quench this. And he did. You can read about it. So he tried that. Didn't work. Then he said, oh, man, the, 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 this, is, this Pentecost thing, I've got to stop this, this church thing. So I, I'm going to raise up Saul and get Saul to crucify and persecute and, and put people in jail that are accepting Christ. He did that. Then what God do? <laughs> I love this. God said, hey, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me on the way to Damascus Road? Saul became Paul, got saved. Became one of the greatest gospel spreaders of the world. And Satan said, oh, man, now what am I going to do? And then, you know what he's doing today? It breaks my heart. He's breaking up families. Breaking up families. Not only out in the world, but in churches. Breaking up families. Satan's getting in the, in, involved with families and breaking them up. Because he knows if I get the family broken up, it'll destroy the church. And guess what? The church will not be destroyed because who's in charge? Like Pastor Jason said, Christ, Christ in charge. Jesus is the reason for the season. Share the Savior. Share the hope, your hope. Share the peace. Share the joy. Pastor Jason asked us a question last week, and I don't know if you remember it, but I took notes, and it's exactly what he said: Are you a disciple of Jesus? And when he said that, I went, wow, that fits in with the question I'm going to ask so well, We're just in a different light. And my question is this. You're going to have to decide whether to be a Christ follower or a Christ admirer. They're both saved. Christ admirer or Christ follower. I found a definition a book I was reading about the Christ admirer. It's going to be on the screen. The admirer never makes any sacrifices. He always plays it safe. Though in words, phrases, songs, he is inexhaustible about how he praises Christ. It's his worship on top of thing. He renounces nothing. He will not reconstruct his life and will not let his life express what he supposedly aspires. Oh my goodness, folks! I don't want to be a Christ admirer, but guess what? There has been times that my life has fit into that. I've just been an admirer, a Christ admirer. I'm saved, going to heaven. But I've just been a Christ admirer and sat back and just admired. But no, 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 no. Not the follower. The follower aspires with all his strength to be what he admires. If you admire Jesus Christ and what he did for us, be a Christ follower. That's what a Christ follower is. He sacrifices. He shares Savior. He shares about his hope. He shares about his peace. He shares about his joy. Pastor Jason said last week, Just existing for God instead of living for God. Boy, that was powerful. I said, oh, Lord, you use Pastor Jason. There's times that that I have just been existing for God and not living. It fits in. I've been that admirer of God and not a follower of God, Christ follower. So, folks, last week, Pastor Jason challenged us to put Jesus first, follow Jesus' teaching, be fruitful, love one another, and tell others about Jesus. I challenge us with the same thing. Will you be a Christ follower or a Christ admirer? Folks, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, Lord, allowing us to take this little cliche, Jesus is the reason for the season, and break it down. And, and Lord, to share about why the Redeemer, why the Nativity, why the Redeemer had to come. Because man was totally depraved and and had to have the penalty of sin paid for by Jesus Christ and he paid it in full once and for all and father what a great gift you gave us and we celebrate this gift during December 25th Lord help us as as believers to as Pastor Jason to let the world see what true love is all about father we we, we see what has taken place with those tornadoes and we see the social organizations and things that got behind that and helped that Father, help us to do that as well. We should be leading that, Father, with the voice of the martyr. Lord, to be able to supply uh, shelter or supply food for those that are being martyred in other parts of the country that are living for Christ, Lord, to buy them a Bible. Lord, I have so many Bibles in my library, I'm embarrassed. And Lord, help us to, to really show the world what true love is all about, the love of God in us. Help us to do that and share the Savior in ways that we've never dreamed possible. In the meantime, help us to continue to just be that ambassador for Christ here. Help us to, again, reevaluate our lives, our heart. Help us to be not only a Christ admirer, but a Christ follower. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's do it, Pastor Mike, I appreciate